From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 293. Today's show is brought to you by PDF Pen from Smile, Pingdom, Hollow, and Rogue Amoeba. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by the one and only Mr. Jason Snell. Hi, Jason Snell. Hi, Mike Hurley. How are you? I'm fine and dandy, my friend. Fine and dandy, yep. indeed. We're, you know, we're, we're locked inside. Yep. As usual, really, for us. But, yes. Yeah. Uh, I have a hashtag Snell Talk question from Jordan, and Jordan wants to know, Jason, what is your Kindle font of choice? <laughs> Kindle font. Um, okay, I do read my books on a Kindle, and Kindle mm-hmm. has, comes with fonts. Mm-hmm. Exciting for those who don't haven't been paying attention. You can now actually sideload fonts onto the Kindle. Well, um, you can you can get news. fonts. <laughs> And put them onto the Kindle and uh-huh. and use them. Well, it's a feature that I wanted for a long time, and then I found I, I like went and got some fonts and put them on my Kindle. And you know what I discovered? Yeah, they're not that great. The third party even, fonts. How does the licensing work? I don't know. You, if you got a font file on your computer, you can copy it onto the Kindle, and then it shows up. Mm. It's like your problem if it's there's a licensing issue there i don't yeah. know anyway my point is that the kindle fonts that are made by amazon or or put on the kindles expressly by amazon tend to be uh good because they were put there with the kindle in mind with that yeah. ink screen in mind mm-hmm. um and so i have two i i i find them very similar and i do switch back and forth between them a lot which is ember and bookerly which are both on the Kindle, they come with the Kindle, and uh, I use those Ember. most of the time. I get it. Waka waka. Ember Kindle, yeah, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. A, a, Amazon Ember mm-hmm. font. I think that's their custom. They may both be custom Amazon fonts. Um, I usually use those. Uh, another thing you may not know about Kindle eBooks is that they often come with a font embedded because the publisher is very clever and is like, "Oh, we have the license to include the font that we used in publishing the print book," and so we'll embed that. Yeah. In the Mobi file. And so you can read this book with our fancy font that we have that'll make it feel like a totally new experience. And the truth is, I have always found those publisher fonts, because that's what it's called in the font interface, publisher font, uh, not very good on, on an e-ink screen. They're, they're bad. They're usually weirdly sized and fuzzy, and they're not good. They're good for printing, and then on an e-ink screen, they just don't render very well. However... I am currently reading a book with the publisher font, and it's a good publisher font. I don't know what it is because it's just called publisher font. Yep. But um, I, I, and it's kind of a nice change of pace for that reason. The idea being that when you read a different book, it has a different typeface and it feels like a different book. And when you read every book on the Kindle with the same font, it does feel a little samey, like it's all just the same book, even though the words are different. It's all ex- looks exactly the same. Um, but it's a rare publisher font that's actually decent. So hats off to the publisher of the book I'm currently reading. Your your font is decent. Maybe Good later job. on in this episode, we're going to find out what book that is. We'll see. Uh, thank you so much to Jordan for sending in that hashtag snow talk question. You should send in a question, dear listener, to help us open a future episode of Upgrade. Just send out a tweet into the ether with the hashtag snow talk included, and it will get collected up, and we will, t- and we may talk about it uh, at a future date. And we may also later on in the episode talk about exactly how those tweets are collected. Lots of foreshadowing to ask upgrade later on in today's show. But we do have uh, an item of follow up, which is the Bridge Pro Plus. So this is the keyboard that we've spoken about a few times. Both Jason had a uh, pre-production unit. We spoke about uh, uh, in relation to Apple's upcoming Magic Keyboard of Trackpad. The Bridge Pro Plus is the 
keyboard, which is it's still in the works. It's, I believe, going to be shipping apparently very soon from uh, yep. Bridge People, which includes and is their first uh, iOS-focused keyboard uh, that includes a trackpad. Uh, Jason has got his hands on a, I believe, final unit, right? Like the, I think that's what they said, yeah. Right. So this thing is as close to what will make it into your hands if you bought one um, as is possible. Uh, long and short of it is, unfortunately, you may not have wished that you didn't buy one, right? Yeah, that's that's basically it. It's a product that was designed for the assisted touch era uh, before iOS 13.4, where it's like, well, we have a cursor sort of, and it's you know it's a virtual finger, but it's something and. And, you know, it, I think this product was always going to be a little bit esoteric. It was really designed for people who really, really, really wanted that pointing device and were willing to deal with the fact that it was very limited, that the hardware access to the operating system was limited. Uh, you basically, like, could only use a mouse, so it's a trackpad that emulates a mouse. And uh, you have the assisted touch finger, which isn't very good. And they, but they, Bridge decided they made a business decision. Like we, we're gonna, we're gonna sell this. We're gonna, we're gonna go ahead and do this. And it was a gamble. And unfortunately, um, it. I think it's really just backfired because iOS thirteen point four came out, which has a much more traditional cursor kind of thing, a full cursor support, and it supports trackpads. It supports Apple's Magic Trackpad two, and the support there is perfect. It is exactly what you'd expect. I imagine the new Magic Keyboard is going to have a similar kind of feel. It's going to be, it's going to feel like a MacBook, basically. It's going to have that kind of feel. And the bottom line is that that trackpad on the Bridge Pro Plus just isn't that good. It's, it, um, it, it was, sometimes I would, I would move my finger across it and it would sort of like take a, take a part of a second to like wake up and then start moving the mouse. So the, Mm. the, the, or the cursor wouldn't move immediately. Um, and then other times I would move my finger across and it would kind of hesitate. Scrolling with two fingers was not smooth. Um, and that's the part of it. Three finger gestures don't work at all, right? Yeah, no you support, can't do any uh, of those things that the Magic Keyboard supports. Um, it's just not there. And although it is theoretically possible that Bridge will be able to do a firmware update of some kind at some point to make it more functional, I don't think you can ever buy hardware in the hope that it might get better yep. later yep. because it usually doesn't. And so for now... I just, you shouldn't, I don't think anybody should buy this because it's just not, it's just not very good. In fact, I was using it and I, I was actively, I found I was actively avoiding touching the, the trackpad because it would, it would just get, they would make the cursor come back and it would not work right. And it was frustrating and I was like avoiding it. So, um, I have their other keyboard and I like it. Um, but in terms of, unless something material changes in their firmware, at some point, um, I can't recommend this product, and I'm I'm looking forward to seeing the Magic Keyboard because I think that's going to have to be the solution if you want um, a a laptop esque experience, including pointing device on iPad OS. Because we'd spoken about like you know this might be an option because the Magic Keyboard is like a hundred and something dollars more expensive, but honestly, it yeah. feels like the the gap in functionality between the two will be greater than a hundred dollars in value right yeah it just doesn't it doesn't uh i think there's a product here right if it worked fine i think there's a there, there's a reason for this product to exist because it's more traditional laptop feel than the cantilevered kind of thing that apple is doing and it's cheaper it's cheaper by more by a hundred dollars in the 10 
and in the what in the eleven inch one and the twelve point nine is uh one hundred and thirty dollars. I think cheaper. Like they're both a lot cheaper, but unless they can get the trackpad to work better, I just can't recommend it. I mean, I I would I just can't. Which is a real shame. I mean, it kind of the thing was like if this would have shipped before or shipped when it was in originally intended to. I think the reception would be different, where it would be kind of like, this thing isn't great, but it is giving you the option that you don't currently have, right? Where it's like this, you know, it kind of works. I mean, the gesture thing wouldn't have been a thing at all, right? Because they didn't exist. So it'd be like, you know, it's not great, but in a pinch, I now have a trackpad there. You know, awesome. If you're on the edge case, this is an edge case for the edge case. Great, good to go, right? But now it's a very, very different landscape where... yep. There are lots of uh, possible possibilities for you now because any mouse, any trackpad will work in some cases, right? And if you use Apple's trackpad or practically any Bluetooth mouse, you're gonna Bluetooth mouse, you're gonna have a great experience. And right. then when the magic track magic keyboard comes out, that should in th- in theory be an outstanding experience. And so, unfortunately, Bridge can't compete with that. Where if they would have been able to ship something where the trackpad worked like Apple's trackpad, you would say, "All right, this is, this is you know close, and it's a different form factor, and it's a hundred dollars cheaper. Great option." But unfortunately, they haven't been able to hold that up, and it's probably because they designed it for a different world. They were taking a gamble. Mm-hmm. They were taking a gamble on how Apple was going to implement mouse support on the iPad, yep. and then they got delayed um, and shipped the product late, and the world changed in many ways mm-hmm. while that was happening. And they're they're it's a tough situation because they've been making these things and they're just not there. So I hope I for the for the sake of the people who made another product that I liked a lot, the original Bridge keyboard for iPad. I hope they can figure out a way to make this product more viable. Me but too. you know it's because you know, but they made they they took a gamble. And they knew that it was pretty risky and that this product was potentially a very esoteric product. And you'd think that uh, 13.4 would make it more mainstream, but it, it hasn't. In fact, you know, the implementation at this point is, I, with Apple's product laying out there, it's very hard to see how anybody should buy this product because it's, it, it's not good enough. The mm. cheapness of it, you know, and it's relatively speaking, it's cheaper. It's still not cheap. Um I I, w- I would recommend that you buy the regular bridge keyboard, which is a good keyboard and doesn't have a trackpad and is cheaper. And then in certain circumstances, use a Bluetooth mouse or a magic trackpad or something like that if you yep. want that kind of more of a desktopy feel. But And I know that you can't do that if you're traveling and it's on your lap, but I just don't, I just don't think that, that as a touch device moving the pointer around on screen, it's viable right now. All right, let's do some upstream headlines. Martin Scorsese is in talks with both Apple and Netflix to fund his next movie, according to the Wall Street Journal. It worked well for uh, for the uh, the Irishman, right? Mm-hmm. They got a lot of award nominations, and I, it seems like everybody's been pretty happy with how that went down. And it's funny that you mentioned the Irishman, actually, because it's the same situation. So this film, which stars Leonardo DiCaprio, is called Killers of the Flower Moon, was in development with Paramount. But Paramount don't want to progress because the budget was getting too high, like it was costing too much money. So it's the exact same thing that happened with the Irishman. Um, They were spending too much money, so Paramount sold the movie to Netflix. 
and it seems like we're back here again. Oh, Scorsese's spending too much of everybody's money and now needs a, a suitor with deeper pockets. Um, I would be very surprised if Apple doesn't get this movie uh, because this will give them something that they want, which is a consideration in awards season, right? Like they will put this movie into the cinemas like they did with The Banker or they were going to with The Banker um, and they will want to put it in front of the Academy and they will bring it out on Apple TV Plus and everyone will watch it and will be excited about it and then they'll hope it will be good. It will at least get them the nominations that they want because Scorsese is involved and DiCaprio is involved. I could see that. Um, I could also see the Netflix scenario where they've been through this together before um, yep. and Netflix marketed it and they did get a lot of nominations and maybe there's some comfort in working with the people there and Netflix has got um, money to spend too. So um, I imagine that there will be one a, of them is going to pick it up because Paramount doesn't there, want to yes. do it anymore, right? <laughs> like, yeah, so, exactly. But, so, and both of those companies will want it. Um, but I mean, I don't know if Apple were in consideration for the Irishman. Probably not because of the timeline. Probably too soon. Yeah. But my thinking would just be that if there's going to be a bidding war, I would be really surprised if Apple let this one go because this is the exact type of thing that they want. Where Netflix, they saw great success for it, but they're going to have other options to them. Uh, you would expect, uh, that, but we'll see. Bob Iger's back, so <laughs> <laughs> uh, we reported a couple of weeks ago that Bob Iger had stepped down as the CEO, um, or he's in the kind of transitions to stepping down um, and staying on the board. He's executive at Disney. chairman now, yeah, and would be kind of running some of the creative stuff, but handing over the day to day running to Bob Chapek. Is Chapek right? Yeah, I think so. But reportedly, uh, through the New York Times, uh, Iger has retaken control of the day-to-day running of Disney to help them understand how they're going to change post-pandemic because Disney and Iger is expecting that the company will be run very differently past right. this well, point. Yeah, it's an interesting... The Times story is interesting because it, it is very much like everybody was speculating that maybe Iger stepped down because he saw the coronavirus coming. He's like, I'm out of here. And... Uh, and in the article, they email Bob Iger, and he's like, "No, mm-mm. it's really not that interesting. That's not. There's no secret behind it. I it was. We thought that this was the right time. But the story is basically he has reengaged as executive chairman to run Disney in this crisis. So although Bob C. Bob Chapek is still there, Bob Bob Iger doesn't have a, a last Bob. initial. It's Bob. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows who Bob is uh, at Disney." He's he's apparently being really steering the company in this because if you think about it, Disney. So when we talk upstream, right, we're talking about Disney Plus, and and there's some news about Disney Plus, very impressive that we'll get to in a minute. But what is the rest of Disney's business? It's movie theaters mm-hmm. and amusement parks, <laughs> both of which inc- put pack a lot of people in an in a small space, and or a series of small spaces, some of them enclosed. And um, you got to think that that pandemic wise, even post lockdown, that is a business that is going to have some real challenges. And that's a huge the movie business and the parks business. And oh, sorry. Also, cruise ships. Uh, There's a problem with all of these things. Okay, so the cruise ship business is done. um, Uh, Right. And they're going to struggle with the parks, especially because Disney was reengaging and like putting a lot of money into the parks. Yeah. 
Like, not only are they building more lands, they've taken back the ownership of Disneyland Paris and were investing heavily into Disneyland Paris over the next couple of years. And, like, what's going to be the plan now? Yeah. Yeah. So so that's all bad for Disney because Disney there's a huge amount of uncertainty and there's going to they're going to have to reconceive based on whatever we world we end up living in in a year what their business is like in those areas. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's a huge challenge for them, and Bob Iger knows those businesses well and is well respected. And even though he, they were doing succession, this is interesting because Bob Iger, I feel like, has tried to retire multiple times in the last five, ten years because he's got all the money. You know, he could walk away. But every time there's been a crisis, and he's like, "Well, you know, we need to pivot to streaming, and we're going to make that happen, and we're going to buy intellectual property from, you know, we're going to get Lucasfilm and and Marvel." And he, there always seems to be a thing where he's like, eh, "Okay, I'll I'll come back and do it." And it seems to have happened again, where even though he's not the CEO, he basically is trying to save the company and be much more hands on about it, at least according to this story. So we'll see how it goes. Um, the good news for Disney, though, this is a segue, Mike. The good news for Disney, Disney Plus. That part of their business, which is perfect for this era, yep. is doing great. Booming. Booming. They've passed the 50 million subscriber mark. So this has taken five months. To put this into perspective, Disney had originally forecast that they would achieve between 60 to 90 million subscribers within five years. So, yep. They probably will hit that 90 uh, before two years. So this is a big, big thing for them. Um, Disney is perfectly placed from a content and pricing perspective. I mean, that's why they're doing so well, right? Like people want that content and at $5 a month is an easy buy for a lot of people. Um, and I will say, I mean, I'm a few weeks into Disney Plus now. Oh man, I'm loving it, Jason. We're watching the Imagineering series, which is fantastic. But similarly, for reasons I can't understand, they are rolling that out weekly here. We haven't got the whole thing. Um, yeah, you can't wait to... You won't believe how it ends. They <laughs> launch a Star Wars land. Oh, I spoiled it for you. No! Oh, no. Uh, so, you know, excited for the rest of that with four episodes in. Very good. Can't help but draw so many comparisons between Disney and Apple when watching this series of, like... There is the the visionary, and everyone follows the visionary, even though the visionary is not around anymore. Right? Very interesting. I recommend that series if you haven't watched it. And we're watching a bunch of movies. Watched Moana last night for the first time. It's a great movie. Uh, so yeah, Disney Plus is perfect right now for me. So. Uh, and and just to put that fifty million number in in perspective, that's a third of the Netflix number, which is in, in again in a few months. It's pretty good. I think that's unbelievable that they've gotten that far. Pretty- it is pretty good. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, it's like Netflix is basically in its own business. It's so big, right? Like mm-hmm. you have Netflix and then you have all the other new streaming providers. They're like different businesses. The scale's so different, right? And especially because it's like you think of streaming, you think of Netflix. Netflix are a thing and then you will choose your other streaming services i can't imagine there are that many people that like sign up to like disney plus and apple tv plus but don't also sign up for netflix like netflix is just like a given right for for lots of people for good reason it's wild to think that in that period of time they've been able to amass a third of the user base that is very impressive very very impressive 
All right, today's episode is brought to you in part by our friends over at Rogue Amoeba, and I want to talk to you about their product that they make called SoundSource. SoundSource is a sound control utility that is so good, it should be built into macOS. Whether you listen to podcasts like these, you're blasting music, or you're streaming video, SoundSource is for everyone who uses audio on their Mac. And talking about it being built in, like it should be built in, like one of the things for me is SoundSource gives me controls that macOS doesn't. So I use a USB interface, right? That's how I have my microphone go in. But I also have my headphones plugged into a box that connects to that, right? In macOS, when I'm using the USB interface, which is whenever I'm listening to any audio, I can't control volume levels using the software settings. I have to change the dials. But with SoundSource, I can now change in software what I cannot do in macOS. Because I don't like to turn the dials on my equipment because I get scared that I'm never going to get it right again, right? Like, this is the horrible thing about these USB interfaces. You change it once, you never get it right. But now with SoundSource, I can just adjust the audio levels with software. And it should be built in. I love it. It's fantastic. Yeah, The UI is so simple as well, but it has really powerful features built into it. For me, I can... Um... I can, if I want to listen to music on headphones, I've got my headphones attached to my little USB audio box. Mm -hmm. Mostly I use it out of the headphone jack to a speaker. Um, But with SoundSource, I can just go and say iTunes or or music app. Uh, Now play it through my headphones instead through through my USB interface. And that one app now goes and the audio is in my ears. And then I can flip it back over. Um, and since I've got the, the headphones, another fun thing is I can, I can route some audio through the, the iMac speaker and other audio through the headphones uh, to the, out to the, uh, yep. to the external speaker. So it's like every device possible and every app running can go to a different place at a different volume. You can set it to auto-adjust the volume so it keeps a constant volume um, instead of uh, having to like uh, keep adjusting it for louder and quieter and all of that, you can just press this like magic wand and it just auto adjusts it. There's it, there's a lot going on in SoundSource. You can also uh, you can boost volume levels. You can add an equalizer and even apply advanced audio units to any audio on your Mac. You have fast access to your Mac's audio devices. You don't have to dig around in system preferences when you want to adjust things. And if you have a DisplayPort or HDMI device that doesn't offer volume adjustment, like when there's not just the USB stuff that me and Jason's talking about. SoundSource can help there. It gives those devices a proper volume slider and the super volume keys feature makes your keyboard volume controls work as well. This is an absolutely fantastic piece of software made by a company that makes fantastic audio-based software. All this power is available right from your menu bar with SoundSource. Go to macaudio.com slash upgrade to check it out. Download a free trial and save 20% with the coupon code upgrade. That is macaudio.com slash upgrade and the coupon code upgrade to get 20% off of SoundSource. Our thanks to the audio wizards at Rogue Amoeba for sponsoring this show and supporting Relay FM. Cats and dogs living together, Jason Snell. Yeah, Apple true. and Google have partnered... On COVID-19 contact tracing technology. Now, this is... Yeah, they are. This is complicated stuff. I want to see if I can do my best to break it down. You can uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I was reading a lot of stuff for this to try and concisely explain what's going on here. Then maybe we can talk about it in, in much broader terms. So... In essence, contact tracing is a tool which public health authorities will use to track how diseases are spread, and they can also be used to alert people if they've been in contact with people who are affected. Apple and Google have not created this idea. This is a 
contact tracing is a methodology that is used in different ways in different countries under different means. Apple and Google's effort is going to be a two-staged approach. First, there will be a cross-platform, or at least adopted on both Android and iOS API, that public health agencies will be able to implement into their own applications. This will be released in May. So here, the NHS, we're going to talk about this a bit more in a minute, they could implement this API into the NHS app, and then people could use this information using the APIs with the system and stuff that Apple and Google are building. And phase two is a system-level contact tracing system integrated into the operating system. Both of these methods are opt-in. Clearly, the second stage has fewer barriers to entry because it does not require an app from a health agency or government agency to be required and will also be more battery efficient. The contact tracing system works by using Bluetooth radios inside of our devices to transmit an anonymized cycling identifying number to the devices of other people. So if two devices, i.e. two people, have spent a significant time in the same place, these anonymized IDs are exchanged and stored on device for 14 days. If somebody tests positive for COVID-19, they alert the system or a health agency will alert the system, which will then alert anybody else who's been matched with your identifying so if me and Jason have been hanging around with each other and been talking for like 20 minutes in the park uh, and Jason tested positive, sorry, Jason, uh, I would be Uh-oh. alerted as being yes. spent too much time near him. Um, so systems like this have existed in the past, but not at this scale. This is a privacy first solution, which was inspired by Apple's Find My technology. Yeah, so, this is this is something I wanted to mention, which is Apple... And uh, Wired did a, a detailed story about this last year. Apple revamped Find My, and one of the things they added, and all of us assume it's because of these Air Tags that still have not been shipped, that are little passive trackers. That, um, but the idea is um, the new Find My technology uses cryptography uh, and Bluetooth beacons, and it's looking for uh, Bluetooth IDs, and it logs them. And there's a whole system that Apple built. And the whole idea here is they want to be able to find your device if it's not on the network and it's lost somewhere. But uh, other Apple devices are going by and they see this ID and they log it and you mark it as lost and you get the data of where your thing was seen. And boom, you've got your device was found and it shows up on a map. Um, that, That stuff rolled out, I think, last year in Find My in anticipation of the AirTags product that still hasn't come. Uh, But when you read the descriptions of this system, it's very similar. And basically what this means is Apple already did a lot of research about how you do a tracking system while using cryptography and rotating IDs on the Bluetooth devices um, and a a system that's built up around that, that that ensures as much anonymity as possible and makes everything opt in. And uh, clearly the Apple side of this Apple-Google alliance came to the table with a lot of work they'd already done saying, here's how we can do this. And that's good. And, you know, Apple and Google, that's every smartphone, essentially. So, and they want that. They want everything to be interoperable because Find My is just Apple devices. But this contact tracing stuff should be uh, completely interoperable between Android devices and iPhones because that's the only way you cover uh, the maximum amount of the population. So a system like this is useful uh, in the long term, really, as social distancing measures will change 
from country to country. Yeah, this is this is a phase two kind of thing where it's like, yeah. well, how do we loosen up the social distancing and the stay at home orders and things like that? And one answer is you do contact tracing where if somebody is diagnosed, you can quickly find out everybody who is close to them. This would be a tool in doing that. And then you can quarantine those people and you can stop it. You know, you can stop a little outbreak from spreading exponentially and becoming a, a huge hotspot. But you need to do that. You need and in the past they've had relied on the memory faulty often of people and uh like where were you and when were you there and then how do you reach the people who were in that park on that day how do you know who they are um and this technology would allow that to be a lot more straightforward first by apps um and second ultimately what they're saying is in the operating systems themselves that there'll literally be android and ios updates that would make this work at a system level so you wouldn't even need to download an app to enable it yeah. but that's not going to be step one no and there's there's a lot of like questions around that which obviously we're not going to know for a while because it, like stage one is may so it's not like today right yeah. it's close but it's not immediate so we don't know when stage two is going to be but you would expect it to be I mean, before the, you know, this won't be an iOS 14 thing, I don't think, right? Like this no. will ship sooner on both platforms. And I've seen speculation that says that this is an example of Apple probably taking people off of working on iOS 14 and having them do this instead. Which they should, right? Which like, they of course, should, right? Of course. So, so I, I would imagine this is going to be a, uh, an update that happens this summer and that, you know, who knows what will happen with iOS 14 in the long run, but they need to do this. Yep. first and so they're working on it and the exact implementation of those of that is going to be interesting like how it's going to be into the system and how we're going to be alerted to it because this is all opt-in um so you you both right. you know, obviously the, the 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 phase one is like a double opt-in because you have to get, the, to get app the app and, and then yeah. opt-in so that's why you know obviously and i believe the second uh phase of this is vital to make sure that the system works uh, so the NHS here in the UK has already announced that it will adopt uh, this technology. Um, they're going to be actually, which I found interesting, they're doing a pre-release test of it next week in uh, pl- part, a part of the country. So, hmm. you know, uh, there is this isn't like a, a an API that is going to be available for anyone to use, right? Like you have to, to be in a relationship with Apple and Google right. to be able to use this technology. Um, something that's happening here, though, is gonna, there is also going to be a self-reporting option built into the application, which I'm seeing like a lot of people criticize, right? Because self-reporting could is obviously not uh, information that you can rely on, and also is 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 open to uh, trolling or whatever. You know, I saw pranking. somebody on Twitter speculate that you could just take your, you know, you just go to the supermarket and hang around there for a little while, and then go home and self-report. Yep. And now everybody who is at the supermarket is going to get an alert saying they might have been exposed. And uh, yes, and you know every system needs to be guarded against uh, terrible people because there are terrible people. But I think the idea of marking it as self-report or having it have to be validated by yep. the health organization before it goes out, combined with, uh, I'll put this out there too, combined with penalties for lying about yeah. that right yeah. like if you file a false self-report that's like a false police report you should actually be probably uh held accountable for that like legally so you know there's a combination of things that will need to happen to prevent you know or or really disincentivize trolls 
from doing it. But yep. you know, I think having it, having you know, going through your local health channels is probably the right way to go. But you know, the the reason that we're doing that here is because the testing just isn't widespread enough. So you know, yeah. you can adopt the technology, and, and I I actually quite like the way that they're doing it. You know, on paper. So there's two. There's gonna be two alert stages. If somebody self identifies and reports to the system you are given what they're basically calling like a yellow alert, right? Like you were being told th- that somebody has self-reported for this, right? So then you can monitor right. your own symptoms. But if then if they then or somebody uh, is, is coming through the health service, this is like a red alert. Like you have been in contact with somebody who's tested positive for COVID-19. You must self-isolate, right? So like it's kind of a situation of, you know, you can get into the politics as much as you like, and that's fine. This is a very politicized thing. But, you know, my kind of read on the way the NHS is implementing this is like, this is the best that we can do right now, so we may as well do it. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm fine with that. There is also a lot of conversation as to whether Bluetooth is actually good enough for this, like accuracy concerns, like, yeah, you know, two people next to a thin wall. I mean, but it's like, what else are you going to do? Right? Well, like, well, that's that. That's it. And I think that they've tried Bluetooth LE, you know, its range is limited. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be nearby. And the way this works, it's these rotating uh, blocks where it's like every 20 minutes or something like that. So you need to be the idea here is you need to be in close proximity it's not just passing by someone it's like close to them so you can see their thing for a long time yep is what they're going for here like you know it it's not not supposed to be they're trying to get some of the noise out of it while mm-hmm. not, while still keeping up what a contact is um so yeah we'll see we'll see how that how that goes but uh, you know Clearly, whoever engineered this has been thinking through these issues, but you're right. It's not pinpoint. It's, it's, it's the technology that we have in all the phones right now, so it's what needs to be used because you need to really roll this out to all hardware possible. Let's talk about the privacy concerns because you couldn't have them, right? Like Google and Apple are being very forward in their approach, talking about privacy first, right? And the partnership between them is probably a good thing, right? Like, you you want Google and Apple to do this and take a privacy-first approach because it's better than uh, governments doing it, right, in theory. Um, you And also, they're being very open with that, so I think that's really great. Um, there's a zero use of location data in this information, so it's just these identifiers, right? Like, the identifier is not then tagged with where you were when the exchange took place, which I think is really great, because really, location data, at least right for this right now, is not necessary, you know? Um, I think that, no, and as well, like, no data leaves your phone unless you explicitly say, like, report me, right? Like, report and, and move, right? Like, you, my data is not leaving my phone unless I'm saying to the system, yeah. it I should. Mean, yeah, like, if you, there's going to be a uh, tinfoil hat crowd who are going to say this is all just uh, a way for the technology government industrial complex to track all of our movements. But, um, and, and it is... A tracking system, but like the way, if you look at the way it's built, um, the it's trying to use cryptographic techniques to separate the data so it can't be analyzed. So a lot of the stuff stays on your device 
until there's an incident, right? Mm -hmm. So you have your codes. And then if you test positive, you share your codes, which are then used by other people to look up if their codes match. But it's not like there is a centralized repository. They're trying to sort of keep it separately and keep... You need both pieces of information in order to understand what's going on. Mm -hmm. It is true that this system, once you say I've tested positive, you're entering that into the system. And then your, you know, somebody, your local health department or whatever knows that you have reported. And that is a loss of privacy at that point. And you can choose not to do it. But again, this is the whole kind of idea here. There are... There are absolutely issues here, and I think it's instructive to for those who remember back to uh, post nine eleven, where in the in the immediate aftermath of nine eleven, a lot of uh, rules were changed and laws were passed that were essentially supposed to be temporary measures for security during the crisis that never ended, mm-hmm. and so I think it's all. All of us need to be wary of that, that that this is the perfect opportunity for governments especially to take more control over our lives that uh, in in the circumstances where we're willing to give it to them and then keep it forever. It's always worth doing that. That said, you do have to balance that with the serious public health issue. And the story of governments is the story of balancing the personal need with the societal need you can read the, about that in your uh, in your college philosophy textbooks if you like people go go look up Rousseau sometime um, but uh, I I think it's a very strong social need here and I actually kind of appreciate Apple being involved in this because Apple is trying very hard to walk that line of functionality without having it be a giant privacy um, loss and uh, that's good like the, i do believe that this is an attempt to make this as uh as non-invasive as possible but uh we should all keep an eye on it and i think there's an argument to be made that them making this announcement now also gives an opportunity for everybody to scrutinize it mm-hmm. and say well what about this and what about this and maybe make them make changes and like this is not a kind of thing that if just governments rolled it out and said, this is what we're doing now, we're taking over your phones and it's we're reporting where you're located and it's for your own good. Like that's a lot more scary than all the white papers being posted on Apple and Google's websites with detailed technical documentation where they're really saying, here's what we plan on doing. And they know that people are going to scrutinize that and they welcome it. I, I like that about it. Um, and there is a severe public health need. If we want to unlock the world, and go back to something that at least allows us to move around a bit more. Testing and tracing is a it has to happen. That that's that's how we get out of this. So uh, without it being just another huge flare up. So uh, you know I I'm encouraged by this, but yes, it should absolutely be scrutinized. Like it's a very dystopian thing to think about, but it's kind of even more dystopian to be forced to stay in my home. And I would like to not do that. I would like to be able to leave my home, you know? So I welcome this personally, right? Like, I even, again, just thinking aloud here, right? Like, I'm just thinking. Like, I question if opt-in 
like that you have to opt in is the right move for this like ultimately like i wonder if it should be an opt out situation my my feeling is that it's opt in but it's opt in your face <laughs> <laughs> um which is especially once it gets on the phones like i imagine it's going to be like a like a an emergency alert you know, like, one of those things. That, I, I want that, people to be told multiple times to up. All right. Well, I mean, right. I, I'm sure. I, I'm sure that they will. They will have a debate about that internally. But certainly, yeah. it's going to be one of those things where you're not going to have to go to a setting that you don't know exists and flip it. I think it's going to yeah. be a thing that pops up in your face in on the phone that says, you know, contact tracing help stop the spread. Um, you know, you, you're going to do this unless you say, I don't want to be involved. <laughs> yeah. And then you have to tap, I don't want to be involved. And then, yes, perhaps at that point, you even get bugged a couple more times saying, we really need your help here. But I do think it'll be that kind of a thing. It's not going to be, you know, find it in settings or, or download this app, which is how it's going to start. It, yeah. Ultimately, it needs to be a foundational part of uh, using the phone that it's going to get in your face and say, we need you to do this. And, uh, you know, you're going to, you can opt, you're opting in by not saying no, but it's, it's as close to an opt out as you can get. And I think that's probably the right balance to strike is you want people to be able to say no, but you want to strongly encourage them to say yes. Cause like, I think that a lot of people that would say no, or would not opt into this are the same people that would also not respect social distancing measures. So they're like the people you need to be monitoring with this system, right? Like it's, that is not a one-to-one -one correlation, but I expect people that would not choosably opt into the system are maybe also thinking like, I don't need to worry about this, right? And they are the exact people that we need to be worried about. Yeah. And because they need to be protected from themselves and also we, other and people we need, need to be, be protected, protected from, from them. them. Yes. And so that's what gives me like, I, I am like perfectly happy with this, what, what is being announced here. I am so proud of these two companies for getting together to do this. Like this is the way it should be done. But I really hope that they are leaving things on the table that they might pick up again later on, which is a stricter approach right like because it's for people's good and if they are saying they're doing it right and like they're not going to give these keys over to the governments afterwards like maybe we do need them like as a social responsibility to eventually make this more of a thing and like i'm really happy to see that it's not just an api right that it is going to be a system integrated feature to the devices because it's like you know like tim cook we were talking about this last week talking about like at apple we are trying to find the ways which we can make the biggest impact based on what we do. I mean, this is it, right? Like the, yeah. these are those things, right? And, and the counter, you know, the counter argument again is the idea of you're enabling the surveillance state by doing this. And I, I really see that argument, but what a couple of things. One is the fact that the system's being built with privacy in mind is a, a good start. And the fact that it's opt-in is a good start. And there's a huge public health benefit. But I think I think the, the problem I have with a lot of the counter-arguments is the counter-argument is 
But governments will take this and say, why don't we, you know, you can see the FBI argument, right? Like we've had this conversation on this show before. The FBI argument is, well, if we had uh, tracking turned on on everybody's phones, we would know where the terrorist, uh, who the terrorist came into contact with. Mm-hmm. And and that would be an important piece of information for law enforcement. Even if it turns out that it's not, they would make that argument. And it would be, you know, you could do that. Um, what I'd argue is governments are going to do that. And it's up to the people in democracies, at least, and uh, and the judiciary and everybody else to fight it if they can. It's up to these companies to build these things around things like cryptography so that it's a little bit out of their hands about what happens, that that it's not one of those things. Because as we know with end-to-end cryptography, uh, you know, encryption stuff, um, you know, they they try to legislate it. And the answer is you can't because it's math. Like you mm-hmm. actually can't open that, that hole and, and use the magic golden key to unencrypt things in certain circumstances. And I know this is depressing, but the bottom line is oppressive governments are going to use this tech anyway and already are. The solution is not to not use the tech because the tech is going to be used regardless. It's culturally to fight it as citizens, as companies. And I think that's what Apple has been trying to do all along with stuff like this. And uh, and also this feels just very necessary. So I think it's the, I think we need to be in a situation where this implementation is done with privacy in mind so that it cannot be picked up in two years and turned into a universal surveillance where if the police want to find out every single person that you've been in contact with over the last 30 days, they can get a court order and they can do that. By the way, they can already do that because they can use cell phone towers and there's like other ways to do it. Like there's a lot of surveillance that already goes on. We all know about it. Um, this doesn't necessarily need to be in addition to it, but if you're troubled by surveillance saying this is where I draw the line is protecting the public health. I think that, I think that that argument is bad. So scrutiny is good, (laughs) but this sort of thing does need to happen. Trying to build it with privacy and transparency in mind is the right way to do it. And that's why I'm, I'm pretty positive about what's going on here because you could imagine another scenario where, some government somewhere just demands that all operating systems of smartphones uh, immediately start tracking everybody and dumping it in a central database, right? And this is kind of an end run around that. Not to say that the government of China won't already, you know, won't do that if it hasn't already. Like that, that'll still happen. But this might not be the vehicle in which that happens, and that's good. We still have other things in regards to Apple's response to coronavirus that I wanted to touch on real quick. A bunch of headlines. Uh, A selection of Apple TV Plus shows have been made free in many countries around the world. So if you haven't yet qualified for that first year promo by buying a device, you can check out Dickinson, Ghostwriter, Helpsters, Servant, Snoopy in Space, The Elephant Queen, and For All Mankind. For All Mankind is Apple's crown jewel, in my opinion. So I'm happy that that's in there. Watch it. Watch yeah. for all mankind. If you haven't seen it because you haven't wanted to pay or whatever, go watch it now. It's it's free and uh, yeah. like, I think everywhere I, pretty much. And I think you need to use the app, one of the apps, and not the website. It's unclear whether they're rolling that out on the website or if you need to be in the app. But there are uh, all of those Apple TV shows, and those are worldwide or free. I in the U.S., Apple 
is among other providers and rolling out some other free content that I wanted to mention. All of Epics, which is an Apple TV channel, is um, is now free in the U.S. for a limited time. This is all like limited time offer kind of stuff, but mm-hmm. uh, it, it's also free. Um, and there are some great shows on that. Uh, Get Shorty, which is based on the Elmore Le- Leonard novel. You may have remembered there was a movie based on it as well, but this is a TV series that's very good, and that's available for free, so you should check out that. Pennyworth, which when I describe what the show is, you're going to roll your eyes a little bit because it's the it's the past, sort of spy past of Alfred Pennyworth, Batman's butler. Um. <laughs> but it's a really good show. It's actually a very stylish spy kind of show, and its relationship to Batman is not relevant. Uh, so you should check out Pennyworth. And if you're a fan of Patriot, also called Sad Spies, on uh, Amazon Prime, check out Perpetual Grace Limited, which is by the same people and stars many of the same people, plus Jimmy Simpson from Westworld and Ben Kingsley, and it's bananas. If you like Patriot, you may like Perpetual Grace Limited. It's not for everyone. It's a very strange show. Okay. But uh, if you like Patriot, you should watch it because it's it's essentially like the Patriot people. What's their next show? And the answer is Perpetual Grace Limited was their next show. And they did a season of it. I don't know if there's more ever planned ever. Who knows anymore? But uh, that's also available for free. And in the US, HBO now did a a big unlock, which you can get via the Apple TV channel or by downloading the HBO Now app or going to HBO Now's website. And there, there's an enormous number of shows that they've completely unlocked, like The Sopranos. Treat yourself to the, some of the best television ever made. Yeah, right? seriously. So The Sopranos, uh, Big Little Lies, The Wire, the greatest TV show ever made, Veep, one of the greatest comedies ever, Succession, which is a hot show that everybody loves and they're talking about right now, True Blood is in there, Barry with Bill Hader, which is a really good comedy drama hitman show that you should check out uh, elizabeth warren's favorite show ballers <laughs> is available uh silicon it's true check it out google it uh silicon valley it. which just like finished like veep did and is uh extremely relevant for our listeners that's all available for free and six feet under is also free so lots of free hbo stuff in, at least in the u.s and you're in if you're not in the u.s uh look around there may be uh stuff that got unlocked in your country too but that's the, it, it's a really literally if you've never had a streaming service before um, get something attached to your TV and watch this stuff because it's free and it, it, there's a lot of good stuff. You'll find something good that you like. Uh, I would just like to add to that that I think that The Sopranos is the greatest television show ever made. So. I mean, a lot of people do mm-hmm. and it's there. All of it is there. So go watch that in The Wire. And The Wire is in, H- in HD now. They did an HD uh, revision of it with the creators of the show. Uh, so it's all approved and not a weird squirrely HD version. And yeah, in terms of the Apple stuff for all mankind. So there's just so much. Just of those shows I mentioned, uh, just there's a lot of great free stuff right now. The Apple's published their most bizarre, like bizarro world uh, support document, um, which is how to put together the face shield that they created uh, for medical professionals, um, including like some gifts and stuff. It's just, you, you know, today in things you never thought you would see, this is one of those. Uh, they made an ad uh, which called, called Creativity Goes On, which is just a nice little ad, but it's just showing the way that many people are continuing to use technology to spread creativity and joy to people. 
Um, it's just like a nice little ad you can watch if you want. But the thing that I found the most interesting is Apple uh, Retail have created a selection of video materials called Today at Apple at Home. So teaching some of the like Today at Apple uh, type things. So like you know, like how to use your camera well and all that kind of stuff, right? But nice. the thing that I found interesting in this is it is an indication of the fact that Apple can and are able to create high-quality video, quote-unquote, from home, which I think is a good sign for WWDC. Ah, yeah. Right? So That's they're good. still able to do it, right? So that these are very well-produced videos that, you know, I don't know exactly how they're being done. Um, like, I don't know if the, the people that are talking, like, are literally at their own homes or not. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's I, I can't tell that. But however they're being done, they are being done in environments which are deemed to be safe. So when you're thinking about how are Apple going to do WWDC videos and sessions and keynotes and stuff, well, they found a way. So I think that's a positive sign to see. All right, today's episode is also brought to you by Pingdom from SolarWinds. While you've been listening to this show, how would you know if your website had gone down? Would you know if your customers couldn't click that Buy Now button or access your content? You might stumble across that problem by luck, but that's no good, right? You want an actual system to tell you because you want to know when something's not going well on your site, but you also want to know if things are running well, Pingdom will tell you all of this stuff. Pingdom detects around 30 million outages every single month, and Pingdom will help keep the sites that you love online as well as it can keep your own, including the Relay FM website. We find out if something goes wrong with Pingdom. We have email alerts. Stephen has text alerts. It goes into our Slack, so it will hit us wherever we are. Um, but we also get an email from them every week saying, this is how the performance of your website has been. These are the things that have been slow. These are the things you should think about. You know, we get charts. It's all that wonderful stuff. It doesn't matter if you're a startup or a Fortune 500 company. You need alerts about critical website issues. And Pingdom will let you customize how you're alerted depending on the severity of the outage. They'll track and analyze your website's load time so you can see what's affecting the user experience. If you have a site of any size, you need Pingdom. And they have a no-fuss approach to get started. All they need is the URL that you want to monitor. Now take care of everything else. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. Then when you sign up, use the code UPGRADE at checkout and you'll get a massive 30% of your first invoice. That is pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial and the code UPGRADE at checkout for 30% off. Our thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of this show and RelayFM. Mark Gurman and Debbie Wu reporting at Bloomberg about the iPhone 12 or the 2020 iPhone lineup, along with some other little tidbits of information. Uh, this stuff is good because it, you know, it's 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 a good sense check as to all of the rumors that we've heard. Where are they yeah. going towards? Um, I I enjoy it as a as a brief return to normalcy too. To have a Mark Gurman oh, report about come future on. Apple hardware, yes. <laughs> like that's all I want. Just like feed me this information, yes, Mark. Yes, Thank inject you. it right into my veins. Thank yes. you. Uh, so we'll break this down. The iPhone 12 Pro. So this is the expensive phones, right? We'll call them the iPhone 12 Pro. Uh, on the way later this year with a refreshed design, quote, borrowing cues from the latest iPads yeah. with stainless steel edges that are flat with sharply rounded corners, flat screens, meaning no curves on the edges. So imagine your 2018, 2020 iPad Pro, but now an iPhone. It's a phone. This yeah, that's is right. what or, we or want, the iPhone, right? the iPhone 5 design too, but mm. yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I think that could be really good. This could, will be a look, a, looks good. a strong contender, I think, for the best looking iPhone like ever. Like, because I know that phones in in theory get better every year, but and you look back at them, right? Like people look back at the four and the five as being the best looking iPhones, and mm-hmm. I think that this one will be in a contender like in the future if it does look this way in in on paper because people like that boxy design and i mean yeah. i i've said it before i think we both have the 2018 ipad design is my favorite apple hardware design of all time it's, I it's so good it. and like, and the iphone 5 is up there for me too so yeah, like yeah, i think yeah. this is I, I think this is a great look mm-hmm. and i i'm i'm very excited i mean the moment they showed those ipads right we we're all like Whoa. I wonder. Yeah. <laughs> is that a is a but yeah, well I mean it's like wow, look at that, but it's also like this is interesting. Is this a new um design direction mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. is we're going to see elsewhere and I think I think uh this at least suggests that it, we are and I'm happy about that. And I think it would be really interesting to have the pro and the uh regular phones look different, like significantly different, not color, right? And not just camera, but like that is, you look at it, and you're like, oh, that's a different phone, yeah, right? Differentiating and, and it, the models is not bad, right? Like, mm-hmm. you want a reason to buy a pro phone. Mm-hmm. You want enough reasons that you don't just go and get the 12 or whatever. Yeah, and one of those reasons, a valid reason for many people, is like, I think this looks better, so I yeah. will spend the money on it. Uh, three cameras and a LiDAR sensor. So it will be a combination between what we have on the current iPhone and the iPad. So I can, you know, I can imagine a real stovetop array, right? Like the four, you know, it's probably what we're going to end up with. Um, there will be two Pro phones and the larger, the Max, will have an even bigger display. So a slightly larger than the 6.5 inch display. This uh, mirrors some rumors that we've been hearing for the best part of a year now. Um, I think even before the 11 line was shown off, and that we'll bear this out a little bit more in a moment, but there will be changes to the physical sizes to some to some of these phones. And this was one that's really interesting to me, and I, I'd be super intrigued to see how this goes. But uh, that Apple is expect well, it is expected that Apple will debut a slightly smaller notch design on the Pro line because they are, as you would imagine, trying to remove that notch over time. Sure. But it will still feature Face ID. There's no rumor of Touch ID. Um, and, of course, 5G on this phone line as well. I will say, that lineup, that is an exciting phone. That is a much more exciting-sounding phone than I thought we were going to get from the 11 Pro to the to the 12 Pro. Yeah. Yeah, and um, a more Maxi Max, uh, you gotta love that, right? That's you, you're you all love about to the see bigger. it, Jason. If you're if, if you're me, <laughs> if you're you, if you're yeah, people, sure. You love to see it. Uh, then as well, so this is another really interesting thing. So this is a difference. Two lower end iPhones to replace the 11. So the iPhone yeah. 12 and the iPhone 12 Max, we'll call it. That yeah, is and then the rumor here, I think, was that it's it's we can call it the 12 and the 12 Max, but I think the rumor is that the It'll be a smaller phone than the current 11. Something yeah. that is that is more because if the 11 uh, again is originally was the the 10R and it was a midsize phone between what is now the the Pro and the Pro Max. And so I think the idea here is get use that as the big 11, but have a smaller 11 too because uh, some people like the 11 concept, but it's still a big phone, and some people want a smaller phone. But like you know, it is possible. I would be surprised if they didn't call those twelve and twelve max. 
like yeah i mean it makes it makes perfect sense but in that case the scenario there is that what we think of as the 11 would be the 12 max Mm -hmm. its successor and the new 12 is a a lower end uh or at least a smaller not a lower end but a smaller version of the bigger 11 12 this is not the se though no, right. like that's, that's yet a another different phone. thing. Yeah, it still hasn't um, happened yet. So, but it probably will. And then, you know, I think the thing about the SE is not size anymore. SE is price, like, and that's the way that that will differentiate. Yeah. Like the iPhone SE is not the small iPhone because it's not going to be the small one anyway. That you know, you may already have seen the SE by the time you're hearing this. People are saying that it's going to come out this week, but that's not going to be an iPhone 5 sized phone or whatever it was right it's going to be like an iPhone 8 sized phone um so uh, the 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 iPhone 12 and 12 Max will have two cameras so we'll expect that these all the cameras will get better but it won't be gaining a telephoto lens um or a lidar uh so that makes a total of four iPhones at the end of the year which is a yeah. lot of iPhones plus right? an SE theoretically coming now mm-hmm. Uh, both lines of phone are going to see uh, what is quoted as significant processor upgrades with an emphasis on AR and AI, so artificial intelligence and augmented reality. I mean, that's what all of Apple's chips have been focusing on for years. I mean, they sure. get more powerful in other this ways, will be but the A14 mm-hmm. presumably, and it'll be more and in that, all this, those ways <laughs> because it doesn't say it either way like this would suggest to me that we're going to see a similar uh line to the 11 and that really like you know the cameras and the chips are the same in both phones but they differentiate in other ways yeah more cameras in the high end mm-hmm. uh the, different design know, the, now the smaller, 5g different design smaller uh, notch all those things yep. right um we obviously as well, you know, as you would expect, a staggered release due to uh, coronavirus. Some phones will launch weeks after, but apparently Apple is not expecting currently significant delay, but it will be staggered. I think of like iPhone 10, right? Like the iPhone 10 came like a month later or whatever. Um, probably a similar thing where like these phones will be available on these dates. These phones will be available on these dates. That's that, right? Um, so that's the phones. Cool to have that lineup. Super excited about that 12 Pro Max, right? Like that seems like a <laughs> mm-hmm. amazing phone. It's the mic phone. It's the mic like, phone. That is like m- the most mic phone that could be. Um, I wonder about like thickness and stuff. Uh, that's going to be interesting to see what they do there. Like what is going to happen there? I'm intrigued about that. Um, I would love to see more battery gains, but we're probably not going to see those. Like I have no problem with my phone's battery. Well, it doesn't matter anymore, right? I'm not going anywhere. So my phone's battery can do whatever <laughs> right. it wants. Who needs batteries? But, um, just remove the battery. Why not? <laughs> just constant. Just let's just tether it to the wall, and I'll walk around. Uh, but we got some other stuff. So a smaller, cheaper HomePod is in development, expected for release in the second half of this year. Um, about half the size, but a similar design, and of course a lower price. Let's imagine, for the sake of conversation, half the price, half the size, half the price. Could you imagine a $100 HomePod? I can't really. Um, because in my mind, I've turned that into a $150 HomePod just now. I just did it. Hmm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, cheaper HomePod, smaller, cheaper HomePod, great. Let's do like, it. Can't Let's you get the current one for like $150? On, on sales, you know, you yeah. yeah, you can get it for cheaper. It's it's a, I mean, the current one, it's a much better product when it's cheaper. Like, it's yeah. not a it's not a bad piece of hardware. It's just, uh, you know, overpriced. So a smaller version that is all presumably doesn't quite, isn't as 
maybe over-engineered with as many speakers and all of that, a smaller one that they can make cheaper and, and, uh, and drive into more places and, you know, great, great. And, you know, if the rumors are to be believed, it will be a very different product as well. Come iOS 14 time, like you might be able to set default music streaming and stuff like that. So it right. could actually be a much more compelling product for more people at a cheaper price point with uh, with uh, different software in the inside. And then Apple Tags, our friend, good old friend Apple Tags. Yeah, still um, there. I'm not dead yet. Not dead yet. <laughs> this, you know, I... I th- I don't remember if I spoke about it here. It may have been unconnected about like, I just think Apple's delayed this because it's pointless bringing out this product now. No, we talked about that here. Yeah. I mean, okay. It's it's a series of delays that have now reached the point where nobody's leaving their home. Mm-hmm. So, or at least many people aren't leaving their home and it's less uh, urgent to have a product like this. So at this point, sort of why don't you delay it? I think that we all agree that this, it seems like this product is probably ready to go or, 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 or close to it and they might announce it. Or they might just hold it for a little while. But, but yeah. Yeah. And I think it would be a fine thing to announce in September anyway. Because, you know, we're going to... Things will have changed one way or another by then, you would expect. Uh, But we've learned that uh, there will be... These will be bundled with a little leather sleeve and a keychain. And will be thin, small, and puck shape in design. It's that Apple touch that that's why they'll be so expensive is that they'll have all those nice touches to it. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think for the, actually the thing we talked about earlier about contact tracing, like the way this tech is built, these will be the ultimate trackers in terms mm-hmm. of being able to find stuff that you lost. And you throw in the ultra wideband chip that's in the 11s, the U, the U1 chip in the iPhone 11s. And there you're going to be able, theoretically, to have it be pinpoint accuracy of where that thing is in your house or wherever. But uh, in a larger scale, if you lose it, it's going to be like a lot of these tags that we've talked about over the years, with the with the difference being that the identification network for these is every Apple device, basically. And that means you're much more likely to find it, unless you left it like on the top of a... Even on the top of a mountain, there's going to be a hiker with an iPhone up there who's going to find it. This is going to be like an ultimate product. I'm super intrigued about this product. Like, I wonder if like, you know, because even people that like don't use an iPhone, if you have an iOS device in your home that you compare to this thing, like you'd be crazy to buy this over a tile, right? Right. Uh, Which is why tile are taking them to court, right? Like that's that's why. I wanted to call your attention to the last sentence in that article. Let me read it to you. This is just, it's so tossed off. And I don't think there's another article about this. It's just tossed off at the end of this. Apple is also working on a new version of the MacBook Pro, Apple TV, refreshed budget iPads, and a new iMac. People familiar with its product yeah, we spoke about this. said. That, that, uh, Bloomberg have reported this. When, I think this was a couple of uh, weeks ago when we were talking about like potential product delays. They threw this out before. This exact yeah, line, so here it is. It, again, it, you know, I've yet to see details of a new iMac and whether that's a speed bump or whether it's really a new iMac and is that an ARM iMac or same with whatever, the Apple TV. But, yeah. There's no detail about any of these products. Like a new version of the MacBook Pro doesn't state what size or right. whether is that the, it's is that the 13 be... without the you know with with a new keyboard presumably, mm-hmm. but but maybe there's speed bumps to the other MacBook Pro as well. Refresh budget iPads make sense, right? Like at some point you would just upgrade the specs on the budget iPads a little bit and keep them going. New iMac, what does that mean? I just, I'm fascinated by the fact that it's just uh, like, not iMac, people who are interested in the iMac, there'll be one. We're not going to give you any details. Maybe they have no details to give. That could be.
but uh, there's uh, they're not sitting down. Well, yeah, you know, they're still they're still moving forward, and I'm I'm still remain very excited about what products could be released this year. Seems like there's a lot of cool stuff still to come. All right, we should do some Ask Upgrade before we do our mic at the movies today. Yes. Uh, before we do our questions from our wonderful Upgradians, I want to thank Hello for their support of this show. Hello make insanely comfortable buckwheat pillows. I don't know if you've ever tried a buckwheat pillow. It's very different to regular pillows if you've never tried one because they give you real head and neck support like in a way that you wouldn't have experienced before. Hollow pillows, buckwheat pillows, they do not collapse under the weight of your head like a traditional pillow would. They give you unrivaled support. Hollow stays, hollow pillow stays cool and dry compared to feather and foam pillows. Buckwheat breathes better, means it doesn't get warm and humid, which means you're no longer flipping to the cool side of the pillow because every side of the pillow is the cool side of the pillow because air can flow through. It's just really great as we move towards warmer months. Like, this is super awesome. Plus, you know, not only do you get to have the support, you get to customize how much support you want because you can add or remove the filling to suit your needs so you can make your hollow pillow just the way that you like it. I have been sleeping on a hollow pillow every night for a year and I'll never go back. Like, I absolutely love this thing. If you have yet to try it out, trust me, you should. People are looking for that little bit of extra luxury or comfort to have in their lives right now. This is something for that. Trust me, they're wonderful. And you can try them out for yourself. You can sleep on it for 60 nights. And if Hollow isn't for you, you can just send it back for a refund. Go to hollowpillow.com slash upgrade. That's H-U-L-L-O-P-I-L-L-O-W.com slash upgrade. And you can get your own buckwheat pillow. And if you buy more than one, they have a special discount of up to $20 off, depending on which size you up opt for. Uh, so they are made in the USA. They have uh, buckwheat grown in the US as well. Really fantastic stuff. Fast free shipping on every order. 1% of all profits are donated to the Nature Conservancy. Give it a try right now. If you love it, you keep it. If you don't, send it back. That is hollowpillow.com slash upgrade. Our thanks to Hollow for their support of this show and Relay FM. Hashtag ask upgrade questions. <laughs> Flying Maltese wants to know, what is your choice of task manager? What does this mean, Mike? Are we going existential here? What 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 is it? Well, I mean, there are like computer task managers, mm-hmm. like like uh, I don't know what those would be, but Only like focus to do the doc reminders. Oh, you uh, oh you mean to manage my personal tasks, not like oh uh, like, you're thinking doc, like control or delete. Like what are you thinking about here? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah command tab, <laughs> launch bar, the doc. <laughs> No, those it's are my not task that. managers. No, oh, okay. See, this is so interesting to me, Jason, because I never ever could have imagined somebody interpreting the question differently to the way that I did. Because like task managers are so ingrained I, in who I am as I've, a being. I've heard Cortex, Mike. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's important to my life. But that's just hilarious to me. I mean, so I guess take this start, question let's start as with you, you will. Let's start with you then. What's mm-hmm. your choice of task manager? To doist. I think that it is the option most people should try. You can try it for free. It's on every platform. Um, it has all of the features that most people would want. You can go uh, higher end, you know, like deeper with a product like OmniFocus, but I will recommend Todoist. Uh, so what is your choice of task manager? Um, the, I, I sort of use two. Mm-hmm. I have, so I use Apple's Reminders app yep. as First off, as a place, I actually do use it as a place for reminders. Like if I come up with an idea for a present to give a member of my family for their birthday or for Christmas, mm-hmm. I actually have a list and I put I put it in there. I'm like, remember this, it's right? It's perfect for that. 
It's a literal reminder. Mm-hmm. I also have a reminders list called Story List. And I've talked about it here before. If I think of an idea for a story I want to write, it goes in story list. So that's my running list of ideas for things I might want to write about, whether it's for my Macworld column or it's for six colors. That's where that goes. And sometimes I look at, I'm like, oh, I want to write an article today. And I'll look at it and I say, that, there's, that one is a Macworld column and that one is not, right? Like, so, but I put them all in there. Um, in terms of like more traditional tasks, I am using Todoist at your behest. I started to use it mm. and I do use it mostly for recurring tasks um, because I have a lot of recurring tasks, monthly or weekly recurring things I need to do that I used to have as calendar entries because calendaring, one of the ways I block out time to do work is I put calendar events and saying, write this article at write my Macworld column on Tuesday at 2 p.m. It's a real thing. But now I use Todoist and I have a recurring event with a checkbox for Tuesdays that says write the Macworld column. And with the new version of Fantastical with Todoist integration, it's just in my calendar app. So I've, I'm, back, I'm back in my calendar app, but with Todoist to-dos. And the difference there is that I can check it off when I'm done, which is pretty sweet. I guess like I think Reminders is like excellent, an excellent like to-do list or a to-do app kind of i know this sounds weird but kind of different uh from a task manager task manager has way more to it your projects and there's the new reminders can do more of that but i don't i don't Mm -hmm. do it there and i I will say if, if you're talking about like projects with lots of steps i don't do that i don't have that i don't have projects with multiple steps in them Mm -hmm. (laughs) i just don't i don't even even something that actually has multiple steps it's multiple like the six colors newsletter that we do every month i've got a recurring monthly event for the middle of the month that says basically prep the document and ping dan and steven and say it's time here's the document and then i've got another and i've got another to-do item that's monthly toward the end of the month that says you need to write your stuff for the newsletter and then another one that's at the end of the month that says you need to send the newsletter out but it's not like a project that has multiple. It's just three to-do items that repeat monthly. So again, this is my failing. But the last time we talked about this, I just put things on a calendar <laughs> or in my in my brain, and I'm trying to use the uh, the infrastructure a little bit better. So who knows who knows where I'll go from here, Mike? But I, I think I think I'm doing better. Gary, you are. Gary asks, how do I convince my family that their phones aren't secretly listening and sending data to Facebook and Instagram for ad targeting? Explain the algorithms look at their posts and all their friends' posts and what you talk about online is what you talk about in person, but they're not believing me. This is a difficult one because it is like... This stuff, it's like it's creepy sometimes, right? How good it is, you know? like It's like I was thinking about this thing and now I've got an ad on Instagram for it. And I, knowing how the technology works to a, a degree, like accept it and kind of shrug it off as like a funny thing that happens, like coincidental, or, but it's not coincidence, you know? I don't know how you recommend to people. Joe in the chat room has said something that I understand. It's like Reply All did like a big thing about this once. Um, if somebody can give me that link, I'll put it in the show notes. But I remember that episode going around that they did like a big deep dive into it. But do you have one... Do, what is your opinion on this yeah, stuff? Yeah, I mean, what what I would say is you, you need to tell them that apps don't record audio unless you give them permission, and mm-hmm. you can give them not permission, and then they can't, and that's because Apple wants to protect you. And um, as for the one thing that is listening, which is Siri, 
um, I would explain to them that the way that these assistants work is uh, they're listening for the trigger word and that's on device. And then if they hear the trigger word, then they record you and send that information. But you can opt out now <laughs> and you can turn Siri off or turn Siri off as listening for the trigger word. Mm-hmm. And if they still think that uh, that's all just mumbo jumbo and the truth is that those microphones are listening all the time, I would say, uh, I don't know, that you, you can either buy them like a tinfoil hat <laughs> or you can buy them a, a Faraday cage uh, case that they can put their phones in that will block all signals. Or you can tell them to turn off their phones when they're not using them. I don't know. But like at beyond a certain point, like what can I tell my family member that about who thinks the earth is flat? Like there is a point beyond which you just have to be like, okay, I can't convince this anymore. But like, there's been a lot of scrutiny here. There are a lot of things you can turn off and the, and the separate apps on the iPhone. That's the beauty of it is they have to ask for permission and you can just deny it. This is an interesting spin on the question. Cause usually it's about those personal assistants that are, you know, like uh, an Amazon echo or something and that they're listening to you. And I always point out to those people that you have multiple devices with microphones on them around your house all the time. They're your phones and iPads and Apple watches and things like that. But this has gotten to the root of it, which is yes, those things are listening to us. What do we do? And the answer is opt out, turn off permissions, turn off Siri. And, and, you know, beyond that, I guess hope like trust Apple or don't use a dumb phone then or something. I don't know. Like beyond a certain point, I don't know what you can say to them. Yeah. I mean, honestly, like I would say that Gary has explained it the best way it can be explained. Right. And, and if someone's not willing to believe that, I don't know if you could ever convince them otherwise. Uh, Anton wants to know, is there some way to keep the iPhone from unloading certain applications? For example, payment apps that remind you to pay an invoice every now and then. So this is that thing that you may see where uh, you you see like uh, like cleaning or it removes from a device or something, right? And then you have to download the application again, which right. is a, can be a useful feature if you want to save storage on your phone, that kind of stuff. Uh, but I looked it up. There is a way to do it. If you go to settings, general, iPhone storage, you can disable the feature offload unused apps. Uh, this is a good uh, screen to just look through because uh, the iPhone storage screen got way better over time and it will recommend to you things that you could just have saved in the cloud if you want to save space. It's also where you get to a feature that I always uh, disable, which is to uh, have some photos stored in iCloud only. I, I have a, the big phone storage space because I want to keep all my photos on my device. I just like that. I like being able to get to them quickly. I like being able to get to them if I don't have um, great coverage and I don't have an absolutely massive photo library. So, you know, I, I, that's just like a good screen to look through. But if you look, if you want that to stop happening to you, that's where you go to do it. Jason Ann wants to know, do you have any book recommendations to help with lockdown boredom? Oh boy. I do. I do. Um how, how should we do this, Mike? Uh do you want me to just uh, list them out and we'll we'll put them in the show notes? That is exactly what I want you to do. All right. Um I recommend a bunch of books. Um 
I just, recent books that I've really loved. I loved A Memory Called Empire by Arcady Martin. This is a space opera-ish kind of book, also kind of uh, society. Polit- it, it, it's a space opera in the sense that it's about a star empire, um, but not in the sense that there are like lots of spaceships firing on each other and stuff. It's not that kind of uh, of book. Uh, more of them. I if you want a page turner that's not particularly deep, but is just a fun outer space adventure, I recommend The Long Sunset by Jack McDevitt. Uh, it's part of a series, but it doesn't really matter. And that was fun. I re- I read that recently. Um, I liked. Uh, there's a a couple of wacky uh, time travel ish books that I have enjoyed recently that are both fairly short. Uh, the Future of Another Timeline by Annalee Newitz is really great. Um, and this is how you lose the time war, which just got a Hugo nomination. That's by Amal El Motar and uh, Amal El Motar and Max Gladstone. Uh, we did incomparable episode about that. I liked To Be Taught a Fortunate, which is another novella, so short reads, and that one's on sale right now as I'm as we're recording this for two bucks. Uh, to Be Taught a Fortunate by Becky Chambers, that was pretty great. Um, I liked The Cruel Stars. I read that last year. That is a space opera in of the truest kind by john birmingham uh i'm listing a lot because everybody's going to have a different thing that that they're into and and if i can like blow through a bunch of them you've got some different things to uh, check out the Ten Thousand doors of january by alex harrow was a lot of fun that's a kind of a, a fantasy novel about a world where there are like many worlds with doors in between them and the the characters travel between them and uh it's it's nice and uh i enjoyed gideon the ninth by tamson muir which is a very weird book about sort of like goth skeleton wizards who are on a a planet run by a evil galactic emperor and it's just it's bananas but it's really good and then one of the best books i've read in the last couple of years is a series there are two books out now and i enjoyed them both uh rebecca rowan horse's trail of lightning is the first book in that and that is on the navajo reservation post-apocalypse and there are supernatural creatures and the main character is kind of a buffy the vampire slayer-esque young woman with uh, a power to destroy monsters and it kind of messes her up uh, but that's her power and I enjoyed that too. So there's a bazillion books uh, to recommend to help with boredom. Dan wants to know if I have the that different Dan. Uh, if I have the uh, probably if I have the 10.5 inch <laughs> iPad Pro with the bezels in it, should I upgrade to the brand new 11 inch that I deeply want? Yes, you should. I'm just we're going to be your enablers. We're going to take a page from Marco Arment here and just be your enablers. Yeah, yeah. New, brand new came out. They're not probably going to revise this for a little while. It's the 2020 model. You've been waiting with the the bezeled one and looking at the awesome look of the new modern iPad Pros and uh, do it, do it. You'll like, say goodbye to that home button. Mm-hmm. I, I genuinely think the thing that sells it for me is like the desperately want. Like if you've been waiting for this thing. Now's the time. Treat yourself. Like, yeah, if you desperately want it and you've been deeply wanting and waiting all this time and they just did a revision go now's the time mm-hmm. it's it's and a bigger screen because the no bezels it's a bigger screen in the same size ipad it's just yeah do if it now's the perfect time any of the accessories they're all better uh especially the upcoming accessories right because you get the ability to be able to use the magic keyboard which you wouldn't yeah. on the 10.5 and i would say if you find a used or a refurbed um 11 from 2018 you can get that too for a deal because they're not that different that's another thing you could do. But I actually recommend that is what most people should do. 
Um, because yeah, if you can find it for a deal, yeah. do it. It's Otherwise, just get the new one. Mm-hmm. And last ask upgrade question today. Uh, Ethan wants to know, how do you get these questions into a spreadsheet automatically? <laughs> so I do it by using a tool called Zapier. Uh, or is it Z- Zapier, sorry. Zapier yeah. is the correct pronunciation. Uh, and it basically, you can hook up Twitter to look. You can have it look for hashtags. And then you can pull in information from a tweet, which you can say, this is the information that I want. So I ask for the name of the person, the tweet content, because you can actually ask for the person's name, not their 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 uh, at, you know like their username, uh, the tweet content and the date to be put into a Google Sheet. So you just connect all those together. Um, it's really great, but uh, I pay for Zapier to do this. Uh, IFTTT will also do it, but what IFTTT does not do or didn't do when I used it at the time. Uh, was it would pull in only the username, the Twitter username, which I didn't want. I wanted the person's name because ah. I would be going in every single time, opening the link to the tweet, getting the person's name, and then putting the name in the document. Um, and I use uh, Zapier for a bunch of things, like for multiple shows doing this stuff, so pulling in tweets to put into spreadsheets, but also for like business stuff. We have tools because you can use it to effectively, in some ways, like build your own little Slack integrations. It's a very, very powerful tool, um, and that is the tool that I use for this. Otherwise, I would be crawling through uh, Twitter searches, which also don't work very well in the long term. Um, so. This is a great system. It keeps them all there, and I can just pick the ones that I want. So, I recommend if you you're interested in like if you use web services, Zapier is a great way to tie them together. Like it has yeah. plugins for lots of services, and I've been able to to surprise myself with the things that I've been able to do because their interface is also very IFTTT like, right? Like it's very visual and it's easy to plug stuff together, and they do lots of testing for you as part of the process, which I like. So. It's, it's really good. It's a really good tool. All right. We are going to talk about Star Trek Four. What is it called? The, full the name? Voyage Home. The Voyage Home. After this break, as we thank our final sponsor for this episode, which is PDF Pen from our friends at Smile. PDF Pen 11 is the ultimate tool for editing PDFs on the Mac. It lets you edit text in your documents, including in tables. The library as well lets you store graphics that you commonly use. So there's like a library function built into the application. Um, so you can easily drag things in if you need to, if you're using them a lot. Plus it has shapes for drawing, proofreading marks and stamps uh, for marking documents as read confidential and more so if you need to do that like you can just pull those in as a bunch built into the application and pdf pen supports apple script so you can automate actions on the mac pdf pen for mac supports mac os catalina while pdf pen for ipad and iphone supports ios 13 and the apple pencil wonderfully this is how i mostly use it so i love that right? like i'm always signing stuff i love being able to sign things or like really easily with my ipad uh, this is a perfect tool if you're working from home more because you will be dealing with more digital documents than you've ever imagined and pdf pen is a fantastic way to wrangle those you can learn more about pdf pen and pdf pen pro at smilesoftware.com podcast if you do any work with PDFs, you need to check out PDF Pen. Go to smilesoftware.com slash podcast right now. Our thanks to Smile and PDF Pen for their support of this show and Relay FM. Star Trek for The Voyage Home uh, is from 1986. Yes. 
So going into this, uh, I knew yeah, what, what, did, I what did you know about it? Well, well, I knew whales. That was all I knew. I knew whales. The one were with in the whales. Movie. The one with the yep. whales. Uh, I I don't know exactly why I knew that, but I just knew it. I guess it's just mm-hmm. one of those it's nerd out there. pop culture things that yeah. somehow got to me. There was the one with Khan, and there's the one with the whales, and those are the Star Trek movies people have heard of. Yeah, and I knew both of those things. Uh, I also knew the characters, right? And 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 I knew sure. from what you had told me because I asked you. Uh, yeah, and like, we did, uh, and we watched Star Trek too. So you've mm-hmm. seen a Star Trek movie, and I needed to know what was filled in in the gap, right? Which right, was, they searched for Spock and they found mm-hmm. him. So this movie was very confusing to me in a lot of ways, and I think it's because I didn't watch the one before, right? So like. I didn't sure. know what happened to Spock. Yeah, we, like, we did hear from somebody who said you should really watch Star Trek 3. And it's true, Star Trek 2, 3, and 4 all run together. Mm-hmm. And and I just didn't want to assign you homework, and I didn't want to do Star Trek 3 for the movie. I didn't want to watch two movies. So, I mean, I could have I could have summed it up a little bit. Basically, the Enterprise gets destroyed, and mm-hmm. they, they steal a Klingon ship, and the Genesis planet blows up. But they find Spock's body, and they are able to put his mind back in his body, because his mind has been hitching a ride with Dr. McCoy. Yeah, that was confusing for me. Star Trek 2. I, I picked yeah. that part up, but when he mentioned that I have carried your soul, I was like, what happened yeah. in that previous movie? Yeah, before <laughs> Spock goes into the ch- death chamber, essentially, in Star Trek 2, he puts his hands on McCoy and says remember and that's the you know he's transferring his essence to McCoy in that moment before he sacrifices himself so yeah in the in the end though they're like they're on Vulcan and Spock is back but a little bit weird and they're gonna they have to go home and face judgment for uh, all Terrorism. the things that have happened and in fact at one point yes yes the Klingon, angry Klingon ambassador uh, in one of my favorite moments in Star Trek 4 decides to show them the two previous movies on, on a screen like the <laughs> Federation's like why don't you watch Star Trek 3 and then we'll talk. And they put up parts of Star Trek Three on the screen. It's like, great. That was great. Thanks, Klingon ambassador who's angry. That that moment, like that whole thing, just it just proves to me that all space franchises eventually lead to political council debate. Like yep. they will all trend towards it eventually. There will always right. be confederations, there will always be debates, there will be procedures, there will be laws, there will be rules, and there will be judgments. There'll be angry angry ambassadors yep. who demand justice. Sure. Uh, did this did these movies have big budgets i can't tell i would say well i don't think star trek movies after the first one ever really had a big budget until the jj abrams one Mm. they had mid-sized budgets but not not big ones and i think it's very clear here that the decision to do a movie largely set in what was then the present day yeah is a real budget saver right clever major budget saver can I just say about the premise of this movie? I have no idea how anybody came up with it, and I have no idea how it was agreed to. I like how anybody accepted it. Now, this is not me saying that the movie is bad. I can maybe get to my thoughts about it in a minute, but just like, all right, so Earth is under siege from a probe, which Mysterious is never probe. really explained. A serious alien probe that leaves as soon as they solve the problem, and never we, we never hear about it again, and nobody knows where it came from or where it's going. Yeah, don't worry about it. Nope. And so, and the probe is trying to contact whales. Whales. And it can't find the whales, so it's sucking they've all gone extinct. the water out of the planet trying to find the whales, which is destroying I guess, everything. I guess, or it's punishing the people who live there for killing the whales. It's Again, it's unclear. It is a sci-fi premise that's intended to make it. But it's like a water-based attack, right? Because it's yeah, like messing yeah. up the atmosphere. Yeah, so the and clouds, mm-hmm. and, and they've they've all used solar power now, so they can't survive if, they're, if it's cloudy. 
So it's like the clouds are the are the true villain here. So uh, but it's the actually only we're way the true villain. To fix it because they're extinct is to time travel back to the twenty first century from the twenty third century. To the twentieth twentieth century. Twentieth century, sorry. To steal some whales. Yes, and then bring them forward in time so that they can say, Hey, we're here, we're okay, it's fine, go away. That is this is one of the most bizarre premises for a movie so i would what i would say is two things first off it it's the mechanics to get to the fish out of water story which is that you know our crew has to go back in time and navigate the 20th century in order to find and the whales and literally the take the fish out of the water yes exactly yeah. right they're yeah. the fish in, out of the water but then they have to take but they're not fish either and it's because they're mammals as is explained in a scene later they're not fish uh that's a common misconception that is explained um, it, it is a framing sequence in order to, to generate the plot. So it's a little bit silly. I will also say, you're right. I watched this movie and I think, who thought this was like, who is like, yeah, that's a perfectly reasonable premise for a movie because it's bananas. At the same time, it's I think it's very Star Trek because the original Star Trek especially had so many strange episodes that were, because it was in the 60s, that were like, you know... Uh, like there was one with space hippies and stuff like that. Like there have been a lot of strange episodes. So I think in that way, it's actually kind of very Star Trek to say in this episode, we or in this movie, we save the whales. But yes, it is. It is a, a time travel premise. You know, like how in back to the future, there's, a, we have to set everything up in the present, but really in the end, it's just about the mechanics of getting him back to the past to have that story. I think that happens a lot with these time travel movies is you have to sort of set it up to give your mm-hmm. characters a reason and a mission and a plan that that puts them back in time so yeah that's the setup i think i think that's the weakest part of the movie is the setup and the and the frame at the on both sides of it right that that the really it's all about seeing all the star trek people trying to figure out what it's like in 1986 san francisco and how how you work and how money works and what how buses work and things like that yeah and i will say i'm sure this will make very a lot of people upset the whales thing was it didn't work for me. It was super weird, and it I just I really feel what, like what the, the idea the, of the idea of saving the whales, no, no or no. the actual whales, no, 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 no. The idea of like the key is the whales is just like I I couldn't get on board with it. Like, <laughs> Well, okay, that's going to be a problem for this movie then, because uh, you know you just have, you do have to go with it. It's like they need to save the whales. This is a this was really a thing, right? Like in the eighties, this was a an environmentalist message essentially mm-hmm. that the whales are going to go extinct. And today, if they made this movie, it would be I don't know a rhino or something. There'd be a mm-hmm. rhino probe that came and tried to speak rhino, and they're the like, pro- oh no, that's the problem. Like we don't I have don't, the rhinos anymore. I, it's like I appreciate the message. I uh, they, there was a lot of gruesome whale slaughter in this uh, like images in this movie right yes. like there are a lot of positive messages about like uh environmentalism and and like trying to stop the extinction of animals i appreciate all of that but like as a setup for a time travel mechanic in a space movie it's like i don't know why we're here like why who we is save the like, whales what, well but like why though like what alien was looking for the whales. Yeah, I don't know because it's it's I don't know Star Trek, man. It's too yeah. yeah. See, also, I think this actually, is the thing. my 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 thing is why don't you go back to when there were no people and there was just whales, and then beam up some whales and then go home. But so here's um, the I need to understand <laughs> what is the time travel rules of Star Trek? Are there any established before this point? Yes. 
and what are like the general ideas because like i assume they spent an entire movie in the last movie like trying to make scott uh, spot good but why couldn't they just go back in time and save spock right like what are the rules of time travel in mm. the star trek universe uh well okay the rules are it's time travel it's a mess is, right. is basically it but the idea i think the idea is you want to uh if you make a change back in time it's going to have a horrible effect on on the past and so you don't want to do that you but in a lot of star trek it ends up being that the things that they do actually cause history to happen as it was recorded so there's a suggestion that they make reference that, to that in a couple of points in this movie yeah because right? there's some original episodes about that so the idea here yes the idea here is that they're they're trying to you can't just go back and save spock because that's not what happened and you would change the the entire flow of time here what they're trying to do is just steal a couple of whales who are going to get harpooned anyway as it turns out and bring them forward and yeah they passed on a secret bit of scientific information to a guy and the glosses right it's like oh, i'll get them back anyway. right but they're creating a time loop and those are all just kind of for jokes because it's time travel you can't again i don't think you can take it seriously this is a wacky time travel movie involving mm-hmm. saving the whales not trying to take it seriously at all like my my point of this is like it's my issue with the whales thing is not that like oh this is ludicrous it's just that like i couldn't attach myself to this as like a framing device for the entire movie okay it just didn't click for me because it was like this is too weird and like maybe it's because i don't have enough base in this star trek right which my understanding is is campy and weird right like that that this kind of band of crew, like an all of the TV show, weird, is weird like strange stuff. stuff weird stuff happens. happens. Weird and stuff I, happens. I expect it is, I, that. Like it's I do think too it's much. a very Star Trekky thing. That yeah, the okay. uh, alien whale probe. I will say, audience film audiences in 1986 did not have a problem with it. This was okay. the biggest box office hit of any of these Star Trek movies. It was a certifiable okay. hit. So Could everybody else was okay with Wrath it. Because Wrath of Khan was good, like. No, but then Star Trek Three came out and it did okay. No, it's because this was a word of mouth hit because it was it was it was funny and it was whales. It was considered more more accessible than your average Star Trek movie because it was set in the present day and it had jokes. It is funny. Was entertaining. Uh, I didn't dislike this movie. Like, do, do not get me wrong. I'm not saying that I dislike so this I, movie. I get what I get. What you're saying, which is that for you, this premise seems so out of the blue and random and <laughs> like, doesn't really connect with you. <laughs> and I see. And that we we have this. Um, Scott McNulty and I do a podcast about the new Star Trek series that are rolling out on on uh, CBS All Access in the U.S. And every now and then we have a conversation that basically ends up being this is a really ridiculous thing that they did. But it's very Star Trekky, and I think that comes to the core of it is that maybe we've internalized a little bit that Star Trek is not above completely bizarre s- scenarios and leaps, and you just kind of laugh and go with it because it's like, all right, it's Star Trek. I guess I'll, I, you know, mm-hmm. in, in a recent, I won't spoil it too much, but in a recently aired Star Trek series, um, at one point, big flowers attack spaceships, and and Scott and I are both like, yeah, Star Trek, okay. Yeah, okay. Flowers attacking spaceships, got it, right. So got I, it. I never really, <laughs> I never watch any Star Trek TV, really. And my main, I mean, I'm, I'm very familiar with Star Trek as a franchise and its characters and like just from general pop culture, right? And I've watched most of the Abrams movies, right? Sure. But so I think like there's there's three. It's not it's not that hard. I've watched two of them though, right? Like, okay. I <laughs> That's, the that is most of them. them. So most you of got them. It. So I didn't say all of them or or one of them. Uh, but so like I just think that this 
premise is like too much of a jump for a cold yeah, viewer. I, I I would say, and and this is coming out in the chat room too. I think. I do think the idea of saving the whales and all of that, like it was easier to buy into this in the eighties. Whereas now we feel like, you know, we sort of saved the whales. The whales are going to be okay. They're still whaling and it's bad, but the whales are, are not, those are not the species that are going extinct. And I made the joke about the rhino probe. <laughs> Again, that would be bizarre, but at least it would have that currency of like, Oh, this is a topic. This is like a hot topic right now. And it's not now. So it seems that much more bizarre than it would right, okay. maybe in 1986. Because the idea of needing to save the whales is not like forefront in my mind. Right, but it yeah. was a it was a real thing in the 80s. Like there were all these discussions about how the humpback whales were going to go extinct because of whaling and all that. And there was an international movement to stop whaling okay. and outlaw it. Now it is outlawed in most places and the whales have bounced back. All right, that makes that context right. helps make a little bit more sense. It's to not me. what I thought would stop you about this movie, but there we are. Like so, the, the the thing is, like, I think the thing that stopped me from like really enjoying this movie was that, and it was maybe lacking some of the context because, like, there are things that are happening, emotional things that are happening that, like, I just don't know why they're happening. There are a lot of like, there are a lot of Spock jokes that are yeah. about the fact that it was very sad that he died, and then they brought him back, but he's not quite right yet. Like, I can't <laughs> and, understand why exactly McCoy hates him so much. Like, I'm, really, just like hates that's just Spock, McCoy. Yeah, but he lo- he loves okay. Again, he loves Spock, but they have a they they have an adversarial relationship. They enjoy jousting with one another. That's just a thing about them. I mm. I love McCoy because he's just so cranky. He's just a cranky man. And my favorite scene, I think, maybe in this entire movie, is the scene where they they have their the wacky hospital hijinks, <laughs> where they have to get Chekhov out of the hospital, which has it's got the wacky music. They're rolling. They have a fake patient. They're rolling down the hall. They got all this stuff that's going on. My favorite part of it, though, is that McCoy is aghast at 20th century medicine, and at one point just says, "This is like the Spanish Inquisition." To this, and he, you know, he gives an old lady a pill that grows her a new kidney. That happens in passing it's like okay i guess we're doing that now and he and he's to doctors in a clean operating room he's like this is barbaric and then he puts his little sci-fi thing on Chekhov's forehead like i love that because it allows mccoy to be peak crankiness and because i i love that i love that he's a grumpy guy yeah i enjoyed that scene but it was just like really like jarring he was just like really taking pleasure in like any failure or potential failure that spock could go through yeah. Hey Spock, we saved your life. Now you're back, jerk. Yeah, <laughs> it was really weird. Yeah. It, was, it was like it was it was a, it was a very strange thing for me to try and come to grips with because it was like I got the idea that he helped save his life, but then like seemed to really begrudge it, and it was like a very strange. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the yeah. animations in this movie. There is that that moment when they do the time travel. What? Is oh, is that? that isn't that bizarre? I think they want to get across that like time travel is weird and strange and so there's this very it's very strange and there's a whale and there's like a, a mannequin and you hear dialogue from later in the movie it's play because it's like weird. oh time travel is very strange yeah that's 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 there's a lot of weird stuff in this movie but you know then again there's also 
like there's that section of the movie where they go to the they, they first off they have to sell his glasses they get the money they have mm-hmm. to go they have to go on the bus they don't have That's exact that, change I with that when he they, was like will you guys break up and they like can't do it and they just they keep don't know what to do they're it's just looking good. at each other and and uh Chekhov who speaks with a Russian accent at the height of the Cold War is like where are the nuclear vessels and they're like yeah. uh uh yeah I got because I was like you. why is nobody helping him like it's not like he can talk in a way that is completely uh, it's like oh because he's Russian because like he's it comes Russian. out later right because they call him a Rusky yeah is... they do also they do. such bad security on that naval ship he that, just gets mm, up and runs out of the room <laughs> he, he does he, thro- he throws his phaser that isn't working at the guy and, and then runs the other way and somehow <laughs> esca- almost escapes an entire nuclear vessel so that, that is not that could have happened in that thing that what actually happened I never could have guessed he just falls off like and hurts himself real bad it's like oh that's a way to, to resolve this situation so the core the core of this movie is the is the stuff with the whale biologist um mm-hmm. who is only in this in this Star Trek movie. Um but she is uh and they shot this at the Monterey Aquarium. There isn't there's is no whale uh thing at the at the uh at Sausalito. Because it's, it's too expensive. We've learned it's, this. Well you can't and you can't do you can't whale, no there are no whales in captivity. That's mm-hmm. just made up. But um they have or no no humpback whales anyway but you know that's the they, when they get there and there's the like they're on the tour and then spock jumps in the thing and does a vulcan mind meld with the whale and then they pull him out but she's and the scientist is intrigued like you are weirdos and yet like you you also know things and then they end up she picks them up as like hitchhikers and gives them a ride and then she has dinner with kirk and spock explains that the whale is pregnant which she doesn't know how he knows that like that to me is the core of the movie because it is these familiar outer space future characters having to uh explain themselves sort of and sort of not to a person in the present day and how would that person react and the answer is she thinks they're they're weirdos and yet there's something about them that makes her kind of want to believe them and i just i I, every time i watch this movie i i I enjoy that part which is like how much does she believe them and how much does she think that they are just crazy people Uh, and how does that how does her belief progress over time didn't like the restaurant scene it was really weird um but like i enjoyed the three of them together more than kirk and the biologist together like kirk drinking a michelob and ordering (laughs) product placement and ordering a pizza and uh yeah that scene that conversation is just strange like the way that they're talking is just like really weird it's it's it is a little bit weird like it's the uh, that's the i'm in iowa i only work in outer space that line makes me laugh but um but yeah, that is, I loved that scene as a kid because it's like, oh my God, Captain Kirk is just, you're just having dinner with Captain Kirk. What is that about in a, in a pizza place in San Francisco? Mm-hmm. I find it, I find it upon rewatching very strange that she calls it Italian because they just get, get a pizza. Like you'd say get pizza, not get Italian. Uh, pizza is Italian, but I don't think you'd, this is a question for robot or not. We'll move on. Um, but uh, yes, in hindsight, that scene seems less, less necessary because it gets truncated, right? He immediately mm-hmm. is like, "Oh, they're leaving now." Well, we, you know, we gotta, we gotta go, and and they're out of there. And then, and then Captain Kirk gets dropped off at the park, and he holds. The, this is another thing I didn't notice at the time. And then he holds the pizza box vertically. It's like, this is a man who's never seen a pizza box before. <laughs> That's a nice touch, though. <laughs> right? Because why? Why I, would he I'm hold not sure it? Sure, it's a touch or not, but it is hilarious to me. Yeah, because it's like he has no idea what pizza, how pizza works. Does talking he about. Gets, replicated pizza is all he's ever had horizontal and vertical 
the end yep. movie, like the end of the movie where the whales and the probes are talking for way too long. <laughs> it's just way too long, that part, right? Like, it does It does go on a while. They, 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 let's show the whole conversation with crazy. the whales and the, and the, and the space probe because we want to... I can see the argument, which is like, well, we can't just have them go, Broop, and they're like, all right, I'm out of here and disappear, right? Oh, and the answer is you probably could just like fade away. Like, suffice it to say that they, they had a conversation in the end. But they're like, no, let's show the whole thing. When the whale goes vertical, the probe goes vertical. I was like, I don't understand why they feel the need to to do that. Like, why is know. that a thing? But then also, like, the whole and the premise... probe's really weird, too, because the probe's like a tube with a ball that comes out of it. And it's like, okay, that's really weird. But Is it right. a ball? I thought it captured Earth, and the Earth was the ball. Oh, no, no. I think that's the... No, because it, it sucks it into itself at the end. Oh, <laughs> it doesn't do that with the Earth. No, that's just like the, the probe transmitter or something i don't know i always thought that ball was suspicious i also like gross. thought they put in a lot of faith in the whales what are the whales you don't know maybe these are jerk whales maybe exactly. they're gonna say the wrong thing but uh, like, by the way i was trying to imagine what that conversation is and it's like yes they're hunting us to extinction exactly but, <laughs> but there's only two of us left right they like, should have gone further in time because because the probe yeah the probe should be like Wait a second. There's only two of you left. Yeah. What is wrong with you people? Um, they should have but gone no, further instead, in it's like, time. Oh no, it's fine. We're f- to when whales were a plenty, so the whales wouldn't be mad about their existence, right? Yeah. Like, what is it like that? The the the, the whales just like, no, but don't worry because I'm pregnant. Like, so we're all good. Like, <laughs> That's we're right. Gonna- <laughs> we're starting a family. There's going to be more whales. Hooray! <laughs> we're going to repopulate this entire planet. We're teaming with whales here. You won't be able and to the, move for whales. And the probe says, "I did not get you a gift. I am sorry. <laughs> so I'll return. I years. will not destroy your home." Very strange. Also, it's like Very also strange. the presumption that like uh, the probe would have been happy anyway about there being whales, you know. But you know, I don't know. Maybe the the probe maybe, didn't want maybe there it's to be looking any for the whales because it hates them. Yeah, and it's like just really looking, and it was nearly done, and it would have left. It was like, oh, you got these whales, Poof, blow up the whole planet. Maybe. It's a funny movie in a lot of ways. I. I did not dislike that's, uh, that's why this I suggested movie. it is is it's a it's a so weird, weird and wacky movie but it's light and fun and I think yeah. that's one of the great things about it is it is not like other Star Trek movies cuz it's goofy. Oh, we have to mention before we wrap up there is a Mac in this and it's funny. Uh, yes, that's it, the that's the big scene. Scotty uh is is given a Mac to talk to. Mm-hmm. And use a keyboard in the most weird way anybody's ever used a keyboard on film. Yes, yes. Well, he generates the whole 3D diagrams by typing on a keyboard. But also just like the way he's typing. Like I mm-hmm. couldn't tell if it was either A, the actor playing Scotty has never used a keyboard before, probably or B, true. Scotty was supposed to look like he'd never used a keyboard before, but that well, wouldn't make sense. Also probably true. But that wouldn't make sense because he uses it so proficiently. I mhm. Uh but the best part of that about that scene is that um is that first off he talks to the computer and then Dr. McCoy picks up the mouse and hands it to him. <laughs> and this is the original Mac, right? Yeah. And hands it to him and he goes, oh, okay. And he says, hello, computer, into the mouse. And that, that doesn't work either. He says, use the keyboard. It's like, oh, a keyboard, how quaint. And then he goes, tap, 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 tap. And intense like 3D diagrams appear uh, somehow, which is uh, hilarious. So that whole scene is is very funny. Um yeah, and and the the my favorite part, favorite weird part. People who've listened to me talk about this movie before will know what I'm about to say, which is at some point during this, 
when they're offering him the secret to transparent aluminum, a lady walks into his office and he just shouts at her, not now, Madeline. And she walks out. And that's the whole, and, and on one level, it's like, why is that in there? On another level, it's hilarious. That's why it's in there. Yeah, this movie is full of little <laughs> things like that, though. Like, like, why is this happening right now? I guess, but I guess this is just happening right now. Like, yep. you know, why is Spock answering so many questions to those computer screens for so long? And yeah. and also, like, why They're testing I- him to see, like, is he no, is no, his no, brain I get, no, no, I get what's happening, but it's very long as a scene yeah. and it's a also, movie made in the 1980s it's a much I, slower pace i movie, love yes. that uh because it's not short but it's a two-hour movie and it's like padded out with like these things and also like those screens are funny like projection screens right but yeah as we are behind them and we can read them which means they're backwards for him the mm. words which is just maybe another one of those funny little movie things uh but yeah this is this is a very strange movie also spock <laughs> looks older than his dad Yes, that is. Well, they weren't that. They weren't that different in age. I can imagine that because so, there is a funny yeah. thing of like like time, like age and time, and how it changed. Because everyone in this movie looks so old, but they're not. But like in this yeah. movie, they all look very old. <laughs> so the actors who played Spock's parents were in the original series as Spock's mm-hmm. parents in one episode. So they brought them back, and this is the only other time for them both to appear. They don't have a scene mm-hmm. together. Um, Mark Leonard, who plays Spock's dad, uh, was seven years older than Leonard Nimoy. So they they gray up Mark Leonard, but yeah, it's I had that same thought every time I watch this movie. I think I have that thought, which is when when the original series was on, Mark Leonard played a little bit older, and Leonard Nimoy played a little bit younger, and they could they could swing it. Um, but now that it's twenty years later, they can't. It's it's it's, it's much harder for for that to do so yes box dad it's vulcans they age differently whatever it's star trek man star trek i love this movie i love this movie we did this for the incomparable as a christmas episode because it has those kind of feelings to me it's just a warm fun silly movie it's escapism and goofy and not serious in the way that other most other sci-fi movies are like it's just a silly it's like a silly 80s comedy except with Star Trek. And I I I like that about that. I I wish there were more movies like this that are just fun adventure stuff but the stakes, you know, there are stakes but who cares? It's just a, it's just a goofy movie. And and Star Trek did this the one time and uh and they were successful with it, which is kind of funny. So, yeah, there we are, Star Trek 4. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Upgrade. I want to thank our sponsors one last time. Smile, Pingdom, Hollow, and Rogue Amoeba. Please go check out their products. And our thanks to them for supporting the show. Uh, if you want to find Jason online, you can go to sixcolors.com. Jason is also at Jasonel, J-S-N-E-L-L. Um, I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. You can find links to things discussed, including all of those books that Jason mentioned over at relay.fm slash upgrade slash 293. But you can also find those links in your podcast app of choice. Um, We'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snow. Live long and prosper. Oh, it's a whale noise. Ah, okay. Okay. I won't destroy your Skype call anymore.